Isn't it great to sing God's word back to him? Because that's the actual Psalms from the Bible. And uh, what a blessing it is. Do make your way to Acts chapter um, 25. And, uh, but before you do, well, go there, but also go to Luke at the same time. Can you do that? So Luke... It's 21. Jesus is speaking. So let's go there first. That's how I wanted to start. Because it is here where Jesus uh, is speaking to his disciples and he's foretelling the future that is to come. And he speaks of how actually there's going to be wars and persecution and the end that will be before all of us. But in verses uh, 11 and 12 and 13, and describing the end um, just has some, something that informs greatly the passage that we will look at in a few moments. Uh, when he speaks of these things, the nations will rise against nation, verse 10. There will be great earthquakes, verse 11. But, verse 12, but before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake this will be your opportunity to bear witness settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer for i will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will even put to death. You will be hated for all of my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And so we turn over to Acts uh, passage for this evening's uh, message, but it's that particular words from our Savior Christ that really informs what's going on with regard to the reading in just a moment. But I, I really want to pick up on one primary verse here, um, and it has to do with bearing testimony. That's what Jesus was saying. As you go out, you will be bearing testimony to the Lord himself. And as you think about these things, as it describes uh, how they'll be delivered up to synagogues and prisons. We know that. We've been looking at Acts together. And so the apostle, in one sense, as we've been reading Acts, is fulfilling this great prediction of Jesus himself. When he said, this is what's going to happen, where you'll be taken up by synagogues and thrown into prison. And so uh, even Paul himself was sent to pray with Ananias uh, as he was welcomed into that family. And this man was chosen by God to be a servant, the scriptures tell us in Acts 9, to bear my name. Part of the Christian life, part of the church's responsibility is for us all to give thought and to consider how it is that we are to bear the name of, of God, to bear testimony to the very name of God. And so as we come to our text tonight, I believe it is God's design for Christians to bear witness to Christ. And so the question before us, even before I read the text, is what is really involved in bearing witness to Christ? Well, I'm going to pick up reading at verse 13. Uh, you do know that he was in uh, Caesarea, was Paul. 
Um, he has been before justice, the governor, and now he's going to be before the king. He's not the king, the Roman king. He's a subject king of this region. And so he will have occasion to be before uh, King Agrippa. Hear God's word, beginning at verse 13, and I will read all the way through 32. So bear with me as I read God's word even this night. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus, and they stayed there many days. And Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. And I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accuser, accusers face to face and had opportunity to make their defense, his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up and they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed, rather they uh, had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and, he, and to be tried with there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself tomorrow, said he. You will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they were willing to test, are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. 
Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to be many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those to which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I will not disobedient, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Lord, help us to take this marvelous story that's been told here in these chapters from the mouth of Paul 
before a king, that it would be for us a, a stirring even of our own hearts, that if he could do that, that oh, that we might um, uh, in lesser degrees, but yet uh, no less important, be used by you to be a witness for Christ, to bear uh, the truth of what we know to others, and that, Father, others might come to know the Lord because of our words. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. God has designed us as Christians to bear witness to Christ. It is an obvious statement, but what's involved in bearing witness? I just make a few observations for us this evening. First of all, there should be a readiness to bear witness, a readiness to bear witness. Here's Paul giving a testimony before King Agrippa of all people there in that region. How did Paul get there? We've been through this before, just as he's gone on his missionary journeys. How in the world does he come before a king? Well, clearly the Lord has taken steps to bring about this two years of being imprisoned and uh, he had yet to go all the way to Rome. He's still there in Caesarea and it just so happens that this king and uh, his wife come to Caesarea and he gives a testimony. He was ready to speak and the time that he speaks here having spoken to Felix, having spoken to Festus and now he's speaking to Agrippa. It didn't matter apparently whomever God put Paul in front of, his mouth would open and tell the very story that has been told here with such might because it transformed his life. And so Paul was always ready to bear witness to what the Lord had done in his life. And so as we think on these things, having been imprisoned and false charges, and surely the Lord was doing something. God had purposes that he was not going to, as it were, be set back by any of these things. They were all examples of how the Lord was placing this man before whoever would be right before him. Have you ever stopped to think about how much Paul's witness to Christ was given in circumstances that he had not planned? Circumstances that he had not planned. These were all done to him. And yet, he speaks readily in every circumstance, no matter whom he uh, might be standing before. It's essential as we began to think about Paul uh, who will uh, speak from Romans 15 as before authorities and how he's here uh, in, in Acts making a very clear emphasis on how God has this master plan that includes people just opening their mouths. Just opening their mouths wherever they may be and telling whatever your story is, just like what his was. That's God's plan, to have readiness in our souls and in our mouths to open and just say, here's what God has done. Paul, no matter where he was, no matter who his audience happened to be, he spoke. And as we think about these things, it was not to be seen as a setback. These two years he's in prison. This detour by all accounts, if God intended for him to go to Rome, what in the world is he doing in Caesarea all these times? Well, one of the reasons there was to be these two who would show up. And Paul would open his mouth and speak clearly. No detours, no uh, wrong paths where one was ready to speak of the very things of the Lord. 
And so the question is, do, do we have? You know, I'm going to another uh, continent in just a few weeks. Um, it seems easy to, to go on a trip like that, and, and you're a minister, and so there's an assumption that a minister's going to open his mouth and speak the truth of the gospel, and I trust I'll be given many occasions. I know I'm preaching twice, maybe three times, but would the Lord use that and be ready in that occasion? I believe that the Lord will do these things, but what about just normally me being in this community or you being in this community? Do I have a ready willingness doesn't take going across to another continent. Ready willingness to just open my mouth. To speak to whomever the Lord would bring before me on any given day, actually. For if he has providentially numbered the very hairs on your head, he has accounted for you already every day you'll ever live. He's also accounted already and directed every encounter that you will come across in life. He's controlling your days. If he's controlling the hairs on your head and he knows the number of days that you'll be given, he's also controlling every day individually what takes place in those days. And so do you begin your day? Do I begin my day? And think about, am I ready to bear witness today? Might not have occasion, but do I stand ready to bear witness and think about the uh, various meetings, happenstance, airplane travel, uh, wherever it may be that the Lord puts you on a given day, do I stand and remember that every appointment is a divine appointment? Oh, that we would think on these things. And Satan wants us to keep our mouth shut. Satan says, don't open your mouth. Don't see that as a, a divine appointment that you have encountered. Yes, there's uh, things that we need to think about where it's appropriate. If you're at work, should you use your work to uh, evangelize? That's not what I'm saying. You need to be a great laborer for your boss. But there are so many other opportunities that we have in our times of living life that Satan says just... Don't even stand ready. Don't even have that in your mind. Don't even ponder the fact that if somebody were to stop me in the middle of the grocery aisle and said, I've seen you at church, go to church the other day. Tell me why you go to church. Are you ready to say something, Maury? Uh, do we see that? Do we stand ready as it seems as if Paul in every instance says, just let me open my mouth to whomever would listen. And so I believe that partly, as we are involved in witness, to re be ready to just say, what's your story? If you haven't told it in a while, it's like an old piece of equipment that might need oiling or might need uh, updating or might need something. If you haven't spoken about these things in some while, they will stammer and will stutter and we will not be ready, though the scriptures is clear that even as I've already read in Luke, don't uh, be overly concerned about what you'll say, but be ready to say something. But another thing I would say, in addition to the first point, that there's a measure, some measure of expect, uh, expectancy or, or readiness that you're out walking or you, I don't know. 
But do you stand ready? Um, And then um, be ready. A second thing that uh, should be, we should be, uh, we should have courage to bear witness in the midst of of whatever the circumstance may be. Um, As intimidating as it might be, that God would give us courage. I mean, look at the scene here. Now again, don't do what we always do. Well, that was Paul, and this is in the Bible, and therefore, (laughs) I'm not in the Bible, and my life's not going to be recorded, and I don't need courage like he did. At one level, he is a man like you and I are men and women, just people that have been made by God in his image captivated by the very gospel. Oh yes, he had been spoken directly to, uh, by God to him on the road. It's accounted for in this account. But in one sense, that's no different than your account. If you've come to know the Lord, it doesn't take an audible voice to have been spoken to you by God, that God has given you eyes to see. And so as we think on these things, the scene here is pretty amazing as you account for it, you look at the verses and uh, Luke seemingly just wants to record this ceremony that is, is uh, this pageantry, that this kind of pomp and circumstance that kind of comes into on the scene. And then after they're all gathered and they've taken their places, the ceremony, which Romans uh, really did love, apparently by all uh, commentator accounts, the just full of pomp and uh, circumstance and pageantry and, and all these, these grand things. And Luke is intentionally saying, um, even in the midst of this, Paul's brought in and he's apparently in chains right there before, you know, everybody else is all dressed up and he comes in in chains. And we've seen movies and we know of these things and they're the ones that are the lowly in the room. And yet here Paul, even in chains, is with great courage, willing to speak boldly about what he knows. Nothing beyond him, himself in terms of just a telling of his story. And, 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 and so you, the scene is that, yes, he's in chains, but there's only one uh, uh, document, a- ancient writing, if you will, the Acts of the Paul and Thesca. Um, and it, it's a recorded account of, of what Paul actually was, looked like. It's a document. It says in that account, a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs and a good state of body with eyebrows meeting. You would just know, wouldn't you, that uh, this was a guy that, um, quite frankly, uh, he had eyebrows that met. Um, But a nose that was somewhat hooked. This is apparently an actual recording in history. As I read it, and you're going full of friendliness, for now he appears like a man, and, and then he appeared like an angel. But there was nothing uh, stately about this guy. A crooked-nosed, bull-headed, eyebrow-meeting little man in chains. <laughs> That's him before this royal entourage. It's a pretty marvelous picture. And then, and then on top of that, you got this whole situation, Bernice. I know there's some children present, um, but he knows the situation. King Agrippa is married to his sister, okay? 
uh, that's just weird and unusual incestual relationship, okay? But all, all this craziness that's before him. And there was nothing about him that would warrant anybody, certainly the king, to listen to a guy like this. And so you see the scene and you kind of get a picture of a, a courageous guy. It didn't matter what he looked like. It didn't matter anything about the, the surroundings of how big the circumstance was beyond him. He was a man that was prepared to speak and a man who had courage to stand with Christ and to speak of the work of Christ in his life. That's what he did. Intimidation, yeah, we all have that. That's often kind of the number one. I, I'm just a little intimidated to talk to somebody. Okay, let's take all the pomp and circumstance away um, and, and remove the chains. And yes, it's still intimidating, but this was a man with boldness who came because of the Spirit of God, the work of Christ in his life, who was willing to say, I'm just going to say what I know. I persecuted. I was seeking to destroy those who were Christians. And here's what happened. And we'll talk about that in a final point. But courage is fear that has said its prayers, one author said. I'll say it again. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Paul shows forth courage in the midst of being before Felix, Festus. How did he do that even here before King Agrippa? Well, certainly he was on his knees, we imagine. And so we need to pray, oh God, give me courage. All of us. All of us. What a marvelous time of prayer. I, I knew the sermon. I didn't pray it, but I'll pray it as we close. That, that we'd all have courage. That we'd all have courage to just say what you've witnessed. We all know of being called into the courtroom and you have to give an account of, of whatever you saw. If there was an accident that you observed and... That generally is very easy, though there's a measure of intimidation there to go in in all the court proceedings. But, but this is your story that you've seen your own life trusting in Christ and believing that there is an eternity that is to come and you're going to spend it with Christ forever. Oh, that that would bubble forth from our mouths even as it seems to come forth from him. And so, dear people of God, we need to be prepared or have a readiness about us to, to, to just say, uh, I, I, I want to, Lord, I, this is a divine meeting tomorrow. I don't know which one it is. I don't know where it is. I don't know what's going to happen. But, oh, that I might wake up and say, who would you uh, cross paths with me tomorrow, this week, next month, next year? But also there needs to be courage. We need to ask God to give us courage to speak. But then lastly, there needs to be a, a right knowledge uh, in our bearing of witness. Again, the, the goal or the aim is, is summarized there in verse 18, and it could be a verse that uh, should be to, um, for all of us, a, a place that we can go, that their eyes, uh, to open their eyes 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that he may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, uh, in another place in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We are troubled by the world that we live in here in the West, in America. But at one level, we have to say Satan's just done a good job of blinding them. That's what's happened. To say what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. That's Satan at work and he's blinded the, the, the culture. The, the, this morning, Genesis 6, kind of the, 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 the times in which we're growing up in. Satan has blinded those to be able to see. Yet, as we think about this text, the aim of Christ is to heal blindness. To, to give sight. That, that's really, uh, if, if you could summarize uh, uh, just the good news or, or speaking the good news or evangelism, it really is that God would give sight to those who can't see. And you say, how do we do that? How can I open the blind, eyes of the blind? The answer is, as Paul will go on to in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians to say, it is God who said, let the light shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's God who made the light at creation. It's God who makes light in your eyes and in my eyes. The very fact that you can witness and speak and talk and you're almost having these outer body moments as you go, this sounds weird. Why would anybody, humanly speaking, believe in one who has risen from the dead? You can't, apart from the eyes of the blind being given light to see. And so Paul himself describes his former life in verses 9 and 11. He was forcing Christians to blaspheme, which is just hard for us to understand, wanting them to say, deny your trust in Jesus. That's what Paul was about, actually Saul. He was about telling people that that's just a lie. Worship Caesar. Worship the Jewish system, whatever it may be. And then he has this change that he describes. It was a change in who Jesus was. And he's now alive and he can see the story of his encounter, certainly on the road, is there was a light. That he was blinded by the very light. And as a result of that, he came to understand and to realize who is Christ? That the resurrection he describes here, Jesus was dead, he rose again from the dead. And then Festus, one of those unbelievers who's blinded, says, Paul, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Because you're saying there was a dead man who came to life? And so we realize that it's not upon us. And I think also in addition to just being fearful, we, we just put a lot of responsibility on our own shoulders. Preachers do it. Individuals do it. Believing that somehow we can convert somebody. If we have just the right articulation and right illustration and right whatever, that, that certainly that one will come to know the Lord. Salvation is from above. It is from God. He alone gives sight to the blind. And so Paul was sent in effect to, 
to, to open the eyes of those that they might see. That's a description clearly of all of humanity. Yes, the accounts in the Gospels of the blind man uh, and the healing, that's intended to show forth something far greater, a spiritual understanding. Because that's the world we live in, folks. The world without Christ is blind. Cannot see, cannot comprehend, cannot grasp the things of truth that we know to be right. That there is a God, that he made the world, that he sent his son into the world. And that we will, if believing upon him, will have life everlasting. And so all the philosophies of this world, all Satan's efforts are to say, Take care of number one. Just look after yourself. May you find a lot of happiness in materialism and then you'll be happy and money will answer all your questions and problems. That's what the lie of the society we live in and the world itself is proclaiming. It's the power of Satan. He's blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. And so as we're wrapping it up, there's a couple of things I just would mention to you. We need to pray that the Lord would open the eyes of the blind. If I can say this story very quickly, it was a privilege to hear Emily Van Dixhorn tell her story. A girl who grew up in Princeton, a smart family, ends up at Berkeley, California, non-believing family altogether, but she lets a room, uh, rents a room from a Christian, uh, sublets a room from a Christian, ends up back on the East Coast in New York, um, the Lord is seemingly doing something uh, and says, I need to go to church. I don't know. But he, she meets this woman in church. And, and, the, and, and somehow the woman hears from Emily that she was at Berkeley and she was, uh, wanted, uh, rented a, a, a room from somebody. And the woman said, what's the name? And I forgot the name of the woman. Oh, I've prayed for you. The woman in New York said that to her because she went on a mission trip from New York and met a girl from Berkeley, California, down in Mexico and tells her to pray for an unbelieving roommate. God answers prayer. Do we believe that? That was her story. And it was marvelous, and I was privileged to hear it. But we must pray, oh God, open the eyes of the blind. I want to speak to somebody. I want to open my mouth, but I know apart from you opening their eyes, it's just all mumbo-jumbo and makes no sense. But the other thing is we need to speak the truth. What do you know to be true about Christ? Yes, he's the one that opens the eyes of the blind. And so we pray, oh God, would you open their eyes, but also, oh Holy Spirit, would you do this work as I seek in my feeble way to tell the gospel, the simple gospel truth of what I hold on to be true. Would you, Lord, help me to just say the simple things, be ready, eager to speak, give me courage. And speak clearly about Christ. Don't tell us all this craziness of the modern churches saying, hey, you know Jesus, your life will be better. A lot of times it won't. Sorry to say, don't do that. Just tell them about who Jesus is. That's all you got to say. He's the one who's the resurrection and the life and nobody will go to heaven apart from him.
It's the power of the gospel that changes lives. And it's the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. And so by faith, we, we say, Lord, give us strength to be a mini Paul. Um, somebody who says, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to speak. Give me courage to do it. And may I just tell the very simple truths of my own life, who I was. Maybe you don't have a great story of some grand transformation. You're a covenant child. Oh, blessings upon you. But, but just tell of what you're trusting in. You're a sinner in need of a Savior in order to go to heaven. Christ came, he died, he rose again from the dead. We speak that way. And God himself, through the voice of any one of us, will do his work in his time in the lives of people. Let's pray. Father, I don't know why I'm so emotional, but it's the power of the gospel unto salvation. Would you, Father, hear our prayer even now that you would make us ready when we awaken, as we start our day in prayer and, 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 and just help us to remember that every encounter is is divine in this life. And there are going to be times in which we will be able to speak. And so give us courage. Give us strength. Give us clarity and simplicity of what needs to be said because we live in a world that's full of blind people. And we have family members that are blind. We have co-workers that are blind. We have a community around us that's blind, believing the lies of the devil. And he doesn't want us to speak. Help us, we pray, to be clear about what we know has happened in our lives. And it's nothing in us. It's nothing we've done. It's by your work, even in the story of Emily's life, of what I heard just yesterday, two days ago, and Lord, how powerful it is that you're a God who answers prayer. There's, there's somebody on our mind right now that, that needs to know Jesus. We know them because of some relationship we have to them. Would you, Father, open the eyes of the blind and even maybe use us? Because, Father, we are, we are mindful, very mindful that in order for us to, to find anything um, in terms of ac accomplishment, not that it's about that, it's about you, but, but we just need your strength. And so help us to have this eternal perspective because life is short and eternity is really long. And we are saddened by the thought that there are those who will die and go to hell. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, use us, uh, just weak, frail, crooked little vessels in the lives of other people for your glory and your honor and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's sing together 420, Christ for the world we sing. God's blessing as you go. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you now and forever. Amen.